Carter. I'm Eloa. And I'm Erin. And if you don't know three black bitches who love true crime, you do now. This is the I Ain't a Killer podcast. Hey y'all. Hey. We're back. Welcome back. Yeah. And to our new listeners. A week off. Welcome now. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, we did take a week off. Uh-huh. I forgot about that. Yeah, we just took a little break. Time. Yeah, we reached a thousand listeners yes. or a thousand downloads. Yes. So however that works. Thanks, y'all. That was really exciting. Cause I think, yeah, this is gonna be our tenth episode. Oh yeah, okay. So cool. it was cool to hit that before we even got to number ten. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. thank y'all so much. That means y'all love us. Yay! Yay. So yeah, um, you may have noticed that we're a little bit quieter this week. <laughs> <laughs> so Carter's not feeling well, so we're going to hold it down until they feel better. Yeah. And hopefully that will be soon. Yes. But yeah. Um, okay, so I guess we don't really have much to say at the top besides thanks for a thousand downloads. Yeah. Um, oh, we also hit a hundred Instagram followers. I yeah. think that happened. Yeah, it did. Recently. Um, what else? I think that's what we got. So, yeah. Yeah, no housekeeping yet. Yeah. <laughs> but soon come. Okay, I guess for um, for current and crime, we're going to switch it up. It's not really current, but because it's spooky season, it's October, we wanted to give you all some um, spooky-themed cases. Yeah. So we're going to read off a few murders that were all committed on Halloween night. Yeah, some Halloween crime. Yeah. So this one is the Ronald O'Brien murders. Uh, this is the man who killed Halloween and the Candyman. Oh, I'm, I'm scared already. <laughs> like, oh, I'm looking at this picture. We're gonna have to put this picture. Up. <laughs> okay. So on Halloween in 1974, eight-year-old Timothy O'Brien returned to his Houston home from a long night of trick or treating. His father Ronald gave him one last piece of candy, a pixie stick, which Timothy uh, ate instantly. Me. Within moments, he's like, you <laughs> I'm thinking like fun like, I had those in so long. But no, that's real. Uh within moments the boy was vomiting and he died on the way to the hospital. After changing his story multiple times, police learned that Ronald was responsible for his son's death, as he had poisoned the candy with cyanide. Turns out Ronald was in debt and had taken out a life insurance policy on his children. <laughs> Oh, that's so fucked up that is super fucked up oh no just take a life insurance policy out on yourself and kill yourself period and then you know now you don't have money problems no more none and your child is set for life boom mm-hmm. there it is a year later he was found guilty of the count of murder and he was given the death penalty by lethal lethal injection uh the murder left its mark though parents today still check their kids candy to see if it's been tampered with Damn, that makes so much sense now. Yeah. <laughs> Paris was just overreacting. But it's so like, it's so weird that, well, first of all, maybe I'm just young, but I didn't know they did Halloween in 1974. <laughs> <laughs> like, when did Halloween and Pixie Sticks have been around that long? What the fuck? 1985 rolled around. It's like, you know what? This would be cute. And <laughs> but I mean, it makes sense that. People should check candy. I mean, it's literal strangers that are showing yeah. your children this candy. But this wasn't a stranger. It was his father. That's what I'm saying. Check your parents' candy. Like, <laughs> the weed man down the street not trying to give you free weed. Right. <laughs> and free Molly. It's too okay. expensive. It's way too expensive. Take your airhead and leave. Exactly. <laughs> Damn. I've heard of, like, razors, too. Like, yeah. my mom's like, oh, they put razors in candy. Who's doing that? Like, I don't. And then, like, who, how do you eat a piece of candy, like, bite into it without feeling a piece of metal inside of it right that, that's that big i wonder if there's any actual stories of that happening like strangers giving out tampered candy or if this is just what happened and then everyone's freaked out since then yeah i wonder that too i think i'm gonna like look that up later yeah because that would be wild if that's where that came from like you ruined it for fucking everybody everybody now everybody gets two pieces like you get a whole bag of candy and they're like okay you can have two pieces a day they gotta break it open because right. you poisoned your fucking child mm-hmm. like, terrible all right, so this next one, it says, Two friends, Leslie and Mazara and Adrian and Sonia, were stabbed late one Halloween night. Mm-hmm. Leslie, Mazara, Adrian, and Sonia, and their friend, Lauren uh, Mianza, 
were busy handing out candy uh, to trick-or-treaters at their Napa, California home on Halloween night, 2004. At around 11 p.m., the three women went to bed, not knowing that there would be one more visitor that night. Ooh, creepy. Yeah, I'm, I'm scared. <laughs> uh, Rihanna awoke to a scream from downstairs, uh, from uh, upstairs bedrooms, ran out of the house and drove away, leaving her two friends behind. What? <laughs> Mazara and Sonia, both 26, were stabbed to death upstairs. Wait, oh, my goodness. So, so the she heard, friend heard? Heard the screams and ran out the house. Okay. Which is like, okay, yeah, that saved their life, but I was confused. I was like... <laughs> yeah, I was like, damn, you, you didn't, didn't even check, check on them? Like, <laughs> I mean, it's 2004, you could have called them or something. Right. Like, they got cell phones. But, you know, I guess that would have been... Yeah. Yeah, that wouldn't have helped. Eric Matthew Koppel, a friend of one of the victims, eventually turned himself in and confessed to the murders, though he never told anyone his motive. Mm-hmm. The Napa Valley Register reports, a uh, couple is serving a life sentence without the possibility of parole. Wow, that's scary. One of their friends? Yeah, one of their friends. He just broke into the house and killed them. But obviously, like, okay, it's a man, one. Mm -hmm. Two, looking at this picture, I would say he was probably like, like, they did something to piss him off. Uh And he just thought, like, okay, bitch, I'm going to get you back. Right. Or, like, maybe he was trying to talk to one of them and then I didn't. And they turned him down. Wasn't really trying to fuck with him like that. Um, Yeah. That's trash. That's scary as fuck. Mm -hmm. And then the way he got in, like, he probably... What, did he have a key or did he, like, broke in? Like- but that's the thing that's so scary about when you hear about people getting killed or, like, hurt by somebody that they know. Because mm-hmm. I'm like, if somebody I know comes to my front door and is like, hey, what's up? First of all, I'm going to be like, why didn't you let me know you were on the way? Right. But then I'm going to be like, yeah, come on in. Like, I know who you are. Mm-hmm. And then I'm in danger. So, he, I mean, they could have let him in. Right. You know? Oh, yeah. He was probably, yeah. He was probably, like, chilling there with yeah. him and then did that shit. Wow. Mm-hmm. I'm probably going to look that up and do an episode. I know. I'm like, there's these little snippets are making me intrigued about the full story. Yeah. Uh, the next one's called The Toolbox Murders. The, or the, to- the Toolbox Killers, sorry. The Toolbox Killers murdered for the last time on Halloween night in 1979. The 70s are fucking creepy. Look <laughs> at this picture. Oh no! Everybody had that little swoop with the little brown leather jackets and shit. It's weird. Oh, it's no. fucking creepy. <laughs> in 1979, Sherry Ledford was hitchhiking home from a Halloween party when two men picked her up in a dingy van. Little did she know the two men were known as the Toolbox Killers. Lawrence Bittaker, pictured in uh, the one that I showed you, uh-huh. and Roy Norris were famous for picking up female hitchhikers and then torturing them with tools typically found in a toolbox, according to the New York Daily News. They often took pictures of their victims uh, during the slayings. After torturing Ledford, they dropped her body on a stranger's lawn. Ledford became a, the pair's fifth and final victim after a friend turned them in. Bittaker was sentenced to death, but died in 2019 of natural causes. Norris, who cooperated in the investigation, was given 45 years to life. I'm confused about this friend that turned them in. Right. Because... So did you know the whole time? And the fifth one was like, oh, this is the last straw. Right. Like, I told you to stop. <laughs> After number four. Yeah. How dare <laughs> you? You refused. It's time to get y'all off the streets. It's always so surprising to me that people like this have friends. Yeah. Right, and maybe normal people, super charming, right. super nice, the ones who throw dinner parties and shit. <laughs> and that's why all of your friends should be a little bit not shit. Right. Like, if you got any good, good friends, like really, really good friends, look at them. Keep an eye out. Investigate. <laughs> they got people in their basement. Right. And they got a toolbox. <laughs> okay, how many, how many have we done? I think that was the third one. We'll do one more. Okay, cool. Uh, Okay, so Martha Moxley died after attending a Halloween party. The night before Halloween in 1975, the 70s again, the fucking figures. The 70s were the worst. The 70s were a wild, wild west (laughs) because they didn't have no DNA, like no cameras everywhere. CCTV wasn't going to pick you up, like driving out of the city. Mobile phones weren't a thing, so people could just be anywhere and you wouldn't know. And, yeah, no. I'm glad I wasn't in in that time. (laughs) (laughs) The night before Halloween in 1975, 15-year-old Martha Moxley left her Connecticut home to attend a costume party. 
On Halloween morning, she was found dead in the backyard, beaten to death by a golf club. Oh, that's so gross. Oh, my God. 25 years later, Michael Skakel, who was also 15 at the time of the slaying, was convicted of the murder and sentenced to 20, 20 years to life in prison. 25 years later? Yes. Wow. Who was 15 at the time. So what, he was like 40 when he what turned himself in? No, hold on. It says he maintained his innocence. And on May 4th, 2018, the Connecticut um, Supreme Court vacated his conviction. In 2020, CNN reported that the case was reopened to the public. That's interesting. So what made them catch him? Maybe like DNA? Yeah. 15 years later? That's why I'm like, we need more. 15 years later would be 1990, right around the time when they started to backtrack because they had like DNA uh, technology there. Right. But they were both 15 when it happened. So I wonder if they were like friends or classmates or, you know. That's interesting. Oh, that's so scary. And I don't, it's like it being on Halloween makes it even more creepy. Yeah. (laughs) Even though it's like every other day, but still. Yeah, no. Anytime, especially on the day, because it's like, it's almost intentional. Right. Yeah. Like you wanted to do this like spooky, wild thing. Mm hmm. But yeah. Yeah. Well, y'all, I'm hoping we don't have any stories like this after this halloween right <laughs> this never happens but we know it is though i know yeah. i know so yeah y'all just stay safe on halloween and you know whatever you do don't build a time machine and go back to the 70s because that's just <laughs> dangerous as fuck never. just existing in that time. <laughs> never don't exist then right all right that was our halloween crime next we're going to our main story Okay, we're back for the main story. All right, who we got? Okay, so um, this is John List, and he's known as the Boogeyman of Westfield. That sounds so familiar. Is List spelled like L-I-Z-S-T or something like that? No, it's L-I-S-T. Oh, like List. Um, You might have heard of this, because as I was researching, I was like, oh, this kind of sounds familiar. Like, I might have, it might have came up in something, and I just didn't know the full story, but... Mm, we'll okay. see. I blurted out when I was right now, right now. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm not okay. <laughs> right. But until then. <laughs> okay, so content warnings, extreme religious views, financial hardship, and murder. Okay, so we'll start with his early life. John Emile List was born on September 17th, 1925 in Bay City, Michigan, to John Frederick List and Alma Barbara Florence. So he was a Virgo. I was going to say he's a Virgo. <laughs> Um, He was the only child, and they were super strict and super religious, and they were German-American, both of the parents. Okay. So his mom was very domineering and overprotective, and his father was a devout member of the Lutheran Church, and he also taught at a local Sunday school in Bay City. And John eventually ended up teaching at that same school with his father. Okay. So John had a seemingly normal childhood, and he didn't show any signs of, like, psychological issues, besides the fact that he was an extreme loner, he didn't have a lot of social skills, and he had very few friends. Mm. So soon after he graduated high school in 1943, he enlisted into the U.S. Army, and he served as a laboratory technician during World War II. And don't ask me what that is. I, <laughs> like, I don't know anything he, about war. He did stuff in the lab. <laughs> right. That's for, right. The, for the Germans? Or he, he was American. For himself, yeah. German for the American. U.S. Army, yeah. Okay. All right, y'all. We'll be right back after we pay some bills. Are you a huge cunt? Us too. Wait, can we even say cunt? Of course. It's empowering these days. Cunt, 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 cunt. I'm Ange Ballastone, a.k.a. the drag queen, Fat Girl Gina. And I'm Mike Fails, just a normal gay guy, I guess? And we're the hosts of The Big Cunty Couch, a gorgeous new talk show podcast where we invite queers and peers to sit, bitch, and be fierce on a huge-ass couch while we gab about all things gay. So come get cozy and cunty with us. We're pan for platforms, so find us anywhere online and get listening, sweetie. Or watching. Or both. Otherwise, why the hell am I in full drag? And we'll see you on The Big Cunty... Oh, wait. I thought we were going to say that together. No. (laughs) On the big cutty couch. So um, he enlisted in 1943, and then eventually in 1946, he was discharged, and he enrolled at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. 
and he earned his bachelor's degree in business administration and a master's in accounting. Oh, oh. Yeah, so he went and got educated. Um, At this time, in 1950, the Korean War was escalating, and he was commissioned as a second lieutenant through ROTC. So I did look this up. (laughs) ROTC, if you don't know, is... Um, stands for Reserve Officers Training Corps, okay, which is a college-based officer training program. So while you're in college, you go through this training program, and then you can be commissioned as an officer for the U.S. Armed Forces. Oh, okay. I thought it was only. Um, I thought it was only JROTC for like for high school. Yeah, I guess that's like that the, a, the that high school version, and then the just regular ROTC is like in college. Wow. Yeah. So they try to indoctrinate the kids early. Early, all the way through. (laughs) They didn't waste any time. Right. (laughs) So he was commissioned as a second lieutenant, as I said, and they stationed him at Fort Eustis in Virginia. And that's where he, excuse me, that's where he met his wife, Helen Morris Taylor. Mm. Was she in the military too? Or this was like just so much in the military. She wasn't in the military, but they did meet because of the military because she was the widow of an infantry officer who was killed in action in Korea. So I guess she was kind of still in those circles. Okay. And that's where they met. Mm-hmm. So she lived close to the fort, which I guess was where he was stationed. So yeah, that's probably how they met. And she had a young daughter from a previous marriage named Brenda. Oh, okay. And the couple dated for a few months when Helen revealed that she was pregnant. So John, who was very religious, a strict Lutheran, he proposed immediately and then got married shortly after because he was like, I'm not going to have a quote-unquote bastard child. Oh, okay, okay. So um, they got married on December 1st, 1951 in Baltimore. So by then, the Army had realized that John had these accounting skills from when he got his master's, Mm -hmm. and they reassigned him to the finance corps. Again, <laughs> I don't fucking know what that they means. They do numbers. <laughs> right. <Finance. laughs> That's it. Also, when you said Fort Eustis, I was like, Eustis? That's like, I had to do it one time. One time for one time for Muriel. Okay. Cool. Muriel. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay, so he completed his second tour in 1952 and they moved to California. And then they soon after moved to Detroit so he can begin working in an, an accounting firm. We got money. Yeah, and they be moving, boy. <laughs> like, all over the place. Third move, they ain't even start killing nobody. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, so eventually he took a decently paying job as an audit supervisor at a paper company in Kalamazoo, Michigan, and settled there with his family. And this is the first time I realized that Kalamazoo was a real place. <laughs> Don't come for me. <laughs> but why did they name it that? <laughs> why did they name it that? No, because Cal. Okay, so <laughs> I didn't know either. <laughs> Like Kalamazoo. I'm like, I, I thought it was like something that people said as just like a wild place, like yeah. it's over in the Kalamazoo, like, like Bumblefuck. Yeah, like yeah, yeah, something like that. No, nope, yeah. it's a real. Maybe, city. maybe it's an indigenous word. I'm a guess. Okay, I'm gonna I'll look give, it, I'm I'll gonna look it up. Right, yeah. Um, okay, so they moved there, and that's where he settled with his family, and that's where their three children were born. So by the late 1950s, the family was doing pretty well financially. because John had been promoted to general supervisor at the company. So um, even though they were doing fine financially, the marriage was pretty shitty. Mm. Um, Helen suffered with alcoholism, and this resulted in a lot of fighting. And on top of um, John's, like, super strict conservative standards, they just really didn't get along very well. Yeah. And in 1960, Brenda, who was Helen's daughter from the previous marriage, she ended up leaving home and she got married herself. Okay. So that same year, List moved the remainder of his family to Rochester, New York. Oh my God. I know. I'm tired. I'm tired for <laughs> I'm them. tired of moving that. It's not even me. <laughs> um, so they moved to Rochester and he took a job at Xerox. And he eventually became director of accounting services there. It sounds boring, but it sounds like he got a lot of money. I'm like, I know ex- what Xerox is, at least. <laughs> but what could he do at Xerox? Like, I guess, account- oh. accounting, I guess. He's an accountant for Xerox. That's such a dumb, dear, Mifflin-ass it job. Is. Like, it is. I could just imagine him, like, with the slicks, the little side uh-huh. slick, with the little, the glasses everybody had back then. Yeah, like, with and the, the slacks that, like, don't really fit. Yeah. And the same brown dress shoes you wear every day. Oh, God. He's dressed like Jim Halpert, but his face looks like Dwight to me. Yes. Like, yes. Yeah. But yeah. he acts like 
I don't know, Creed. Creed, yeah. <laughs> but not as funny. Creed not funny. Not funny. <laughs> Creed has those one-liners, and I'm like, that shit's funny. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so in 1965, John accepted a position as vice president and comptroller at a bank in New Jersey. And in New Jersey is where his family finally settled down into a 19-room Victorian mansion. Yeah, they're rich. Yeah, he better have fucking money. Right. And this is in in 65. Yeah. So that shit was probably like $40,000. Right, right. (laughs) (laughs) It's like a million dollars now. Goddamn. (laughs) Um, Okay, so the address, I I mean, this is like widely known because the house is famous, but in case anybody's curious, the address of the mansion is 431 Hillside Avenue in Westfield, New Jersey. So mm-hmm. do without what you will. Some people like to go visit these places. Yeah, no, I'm good. I can look at it through my computer screen and be perfectly fine. Because who else likes to visit those places? Future murderers. Murderers. People want a copycat. <laughs> exactly. And they know people are attracted to us. We're like, oh, you know, it would be cool if I killed somebody at their residence. <laughs> right. And it will not be me. Yeah, I, was like, I won't be there. So. Okay, so at this point, John List and his family were living up to this idealized America, like post-war traditional family social structure. Mm -hmm. And it was very patriarchal, patriarchal. And the husband was like at the height of the family. I mean, we all pretty much know this. Like the husband was the breadwinner. He was the one making the stable income. Mm -hmm. The wife and the mother prioritized home life and caring for the children. So they were pretty much doing that. Um, And they were living the quote-unquote American dream, which mm-hmm. was, like, lead a simple, prosperous life in comfort. I don't know about simple with a 19-year-old hmm. mansion. You got right. two kids? What? What they said other? in comfort. They have three kids. So it's you. I'm, a, I'm presuming that both of y'all sleep in the same room. But even if y'all set, slept separately, uh-huh. that's 14 free rooms. Right. For, wait, no, my math is up. No, yeah, there's 14 free rooms. Uh-huh. It's His mom also stayed time. with them, but that don't matter. Okay, there's still 13. more than 10. No, right. <laughs> I'm like, then what do y'all do in there? Throw, throw parties? Maybe. I would just put some like, fluffy socks on and, do, and like, slide. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Run inside. Because there's so much <laughs> Like Home Alone or some <laughs> shit. Oh, um, okay, so the 19-room mansion was... Um, really luxurious. It had this huge ballroom and marble fireplaces and all that shit that you mm-hmm. could imagine in like a opulent area, all of that. Mm-hmm. So they also attended church every week with Liz's mother who lived with them, which I just said, and John taught Sunday school at the church. Mm-hmm. Um, John believed, he strongly believed in American men being independent, self-sufficient and supporting their families. And this is kind of like, where the downfall of everything happened with this belief in 1971 at the age of 46 john lost his job oh no yeah his big cushy job yeah his dunder missile job he couldn't get another one like i know he got got like eight times (laughs) so it was really difficult for him to cope with this because of his attachment to the ideals of the time and his expectations of men so it was later revealed by authorities that john had lied to his family about all of his jobs and basically, all those jobs he had back to back, he had been fired from every single one of them. I know. Oh, I know. I'm shit. <laughs> you really are. I thought he was so boring. I thought like he just kept getting promoted and moving across the country. No, the shit. only reason they were moving and all that stuff is because he kept getting fired. For what? So he kept getting fired because he had a cold demeanor and he wasn't able to socialize with his coworkers, which I'm like. That don't have shit to do with shit. What does that have to do with anything? I mean, I like my coworkers. Yeah. That's why I socialize with them. Carter's one of my coworkers, if y'all didn't know. But if I don't like y'all, as long as I'm doing my job, yeah. why do I need to socialize? As but, long as he's doing the lab tech stuff right, and the and finance the course accounting stuff. number shit. <laughs> that's it. But I mean, maybe this was a different time and they expected certain things out of people. I mean, they still expect that out of jobs now. But mm-hmm. So that's what they said. His cold demeanor... <clears throat> excuse me, his lack of social skills and he just couldn't get along with anybody. And that could also mean, you know, like he was an asshole mm-hmm. and was like insubordinate. Mm-hmm. He's probably super creepy too. Right. So I feel like there was a lot of things that went with that, but he just couldn't keep a job for nothing. Wow. And he lied to his family about it. So he never told his family that he was in debt 
And he didn't um, seek out welfare payments because he was ashamed of that. But he was in so much debt that he could have, you know, gotten welfare. So he secretly transferred money from his mom's account to pay the mortgage. And every morning he would leave for work, but he would really just go to sit on a railway station and read books and newspapers all day and then come back like he had just been at work all day. And he couldn't just find another job. <laughs> Apparently not. And he's not reading all those point. newspapers, read the jobs wanted section. <laughs> I mean, you got all this, um, you know, number knowledge. I feel like you could find something, but I guess this was kind of just the turning point for all that stuff. So the financial burden continued to increase and it caused him a lot of psychological stress. He felt like a failure and he became increasingly depressed. And in addition to the money problems, <laughs> John's oldest daughter wanted to become an actress, which, which he, it, that was just so unacceptable for John. You lied. <laughs> you got fired from all your jobs. <laughs> you had so much that you got to steal from your mama. <laughs> but you mad about your daughter who wants to be an actress? Who might, that might bring some bread to the family. Something. Like millions of dollars. Something. Put her, th- use some of that fake money that you keep stealing from your mama. To pay for her acting classes. But you'll see, like, um, at the end of this, you'll see that his, like, super conservative values are really twisted Mm -hmm. in how he thinks. And it'll make more sense when I get to the end. But, yeah, so he thought that that was just so unacceptable. And his wife was also still heavily drinking. So everything was going to shit, according to John. It makes more sense that she was struggling with alcoholism now because she probably was, like, super isolated. Yeah. And she probably didn't have a really healthy relationship with him as well. Right. Um, And then thinking, like, oh, I married this man because he got me pregnant. And, you know, which is weird because... He's super, super conservative, but he was having sex before he got married. That's what I'm saying. Like, it's almost like he feels that everyone else needs to be held to this standard, Mm -hmm. but he can, like, slide through. Yeah. And as long as he, like, keeps everybody else on track, like, he'll be good. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, He also, like, pretty much forced his kids to get part-time jobs to, like, build character, but really it was because he didn't have any money. (laughs) Which I would have been pissed off. Yeah, no, same. I would sue him, but he would have been even more dead because right. I would have sued him for the rest of them checks. So, yeah. So John's going through it, according to him. So with the prospect of foreclosure threatening to expose his financial failure and his discontentment with his family, John made a really drastic decision. Mm-hmm. Here we go. So on the morning of November 9th, 1971, everything started as usual their day went about as normal john sent the kids off to school his wife was in the kitchen drinking coffee normal 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 and then using his own uh, work with me all i don't know shit about guns nine millimeter stare 1912 semi-automatic handgun and his father's colt 22 caliber revolver he shot his wife who was 49 at the time, in the back of the head while she was drinking coffee in the kitchen. Just like that. Normal ass Tuesday. I don't know if it was a Tuesday, but you know what I mean? I'm shook. As I'm so shook because, like, you married her. You didn't have to. And you the one fucking up at work. <laughs> and you the one wanting a 19-room uh, house. When you could have just got a little three, four-bedroom. Everybody could have had their own room. It... And still would have been like what five at the most, and didn't didn't their mom stay with him? Or yeah. Something? Oh my goodness. She had like an attic apartment, which sounds like oh not that great, but it probably was like three bedrooms itself, you know, because yeah. it was in some mansion. But yeah, she lived with them. They had a ballroom. Oh, you brought all this on yourself. Yeah, and you just you chose to end it that way. Mm-hmm. I'm tired of my own decisions. I'm like, <laughs> that's what I'm saying though. Like he he believes that he needs to that everybody else needs to be like on the straight and arrow Mm -hmm. and he it's his responsibility to keep them that way but anyway so after he kills his wife he then goes upstairs to the attic apartment and shoots his mother who was 84 and he shot her above her left eye while she was still in bed killing her so after killing both his wife and and mother he called his children's school 
to basically say that they are going to visit their grandmother in um, South Carolina. So he basically like told this the school to let the kids out early. The so the the one who stayed with them that was his wife's mom. Um, no, it was his mom. And they're going to go visit her mom. Yeah, mm-hmm. the, the wife's grand, the wife's mother in okay. South in South Carolina. That's what he told the children's school. Okay, as an excuse to get them out of school. Okay, I just got confused for a second. Right, I was like, Ooh. so he's like, yeah, we're gonna go visit my wife's mother, who um, he said was like sick mm-hmm. for a few weeks. We have to go now, so the kids are like out of school. Yeah, on their way home. So he then proceeded to drag his wife's body to the ballroom and he cleaned the kitchen of the crime scene and he was unable to move his mom because he couldn't lift her down the stairs. So he just left her up there. So then after just being released from school, his um, two of his kids show up. So his 16 year old daughter, Patty, and his 13 year old Frederick returned from the school around noon. And as soon as the kids, geez, I'm like, (laughs) the story's so sad. My throat keeps getting. Um, Okay. So as soon as the kids walked through the front door, he shot them both in their heads and killed them. He dragged the bodies of the two children into the ballroom and sat them next to his wife, Helen. Um, You could have just left them in school. (laughs) You could have just did it. And then this is the fucked up. Well, I mean, it's all fucked up, but this just really made me want to like throw up. He then, after doing all that, made himself lunch and ate it. Oh, see now. In the kitchen that he had just cleaned of his wife's blood. Oh, my fucking God. Yeah, he was hungry. Oh, my God. How do you eat after that? I can't even fathom eating after seeing some shit like that. I don't even want to make myself lunch like on a normal day. Yeah. I can't imagine doing it. <laughs> right. I don't feel like doing that shit on a regular day. On a regular day. day. And after you just kill all of his blood everywhere. Yeah, like, oh, let me make a sandwich or whatever he made. Yeah, no. He's definitely a sleeper, like a sleeper cell. Yeah. It was just like all waiting for him, like for it to build up to this point. Right. So at some point while he was home during all this, he made a lot of calls to explain that his family was going to, I'm sorry, I said South Carolina. I think it's North Carolina. Um, He just started calling people to explain that they were leaving to go to North Carolina to visit his wife's sick mom and that he was planning to follow by car. So basically he was explaining to neighbors, family members, things like that, that the family, his wife, his mother and his kids were going to go to North Carolina uh-huh. to visit um, the wife's mom and that he was going to follow them afterwards in his car. Um, he then drove to the post, op- post office to stop the family's mail. He drove to the bank and closed both his and his mother's bank accounts. And he cashed out his mother's savings bonds, making sure that he got like all interest and in everything all the way to the penny. So... His middle son, because he had three kids and he had already killed two of them, mm-hmm. his middle son, who was John Jr., who people remember as his favorite kid, mm-hmm. actually suffered the worst death, well, the most brutal death. They were all bad. So um, John Sr., while he was running his errands, going to the post office and shit, drove over to the high school to watch John Jr. play in a soccer game. Um, After the soccer game was over, he drove John Jr. back to the house and pretty much emptied both of the guns into him. (gasps) Oh, my goodness. He shot him in his head and his chest repeatedly. And um, afterwards, they said that he had landed 10 bullets in his son's body. And... Obviously, some he had missed, and because he had missed, through whatever process, they were able to determine that the son had tried to defend himself. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, at this point, he had killed his mother, his wife, and his three children. He lined up the four bodies of his wife and three children in the ballroom. Remember, his mom was too heavy to move down the stairs. Yeah. And he put them all on top of sleeping bags. So, they're all laying on top of sleeping bags in the ballroom, just together. Um, he then proceeded to write a five-page letter to his pastor that they found on the desk in his study after the fact. 
And he, in the letter, he left specific instructions for the burials, but he didn't leave any money for the funeral. (laughs) I mean, piece of shit. (laughs) Right. Um, He also claimed that he saw too much evil in the world and that he had killed his family to save their souls. And he was hoping that the pastor would sympathize with that. But he didn't kill himself. You'll see. Okay. So he claimed that he feared his family's relationship with God would unravel and they would not safely make it to heaven if they continue to live. So it was up to him to kill them. Right. God, God contacted you. Right. Instead of just doing it himself. Right. And instead of just, instead of God helping you find a job, he said, <laughs> right. I'm help you kill your whole family. What the fuck? Instead of God just putting a word in that Dunder Mifflin, he was just like, nah, take him out. <laughs> like, No. Uh, religion is so dangerous, but that's not it really the conversation. That's why I had the content warning, like extreme religious views, because yeah. this is where it can get really bad. Yeah, get really sticky. So he also wrote in the note that he, he this is literally the words, quote, mother is in the attic. She was too heavy to move, unquote. <laughs> like you could have said that in a better way, but OK. Yeah. So after he wrote the letter and left it on his desk, he then began cleaning all of the various crime scenes meticulously and he removed his own picture from all of the family photos in the house. He turned on the internal inc- intercom system and played a religious radio station loudly. And then he turned on all the lights and left. He drove to JFK Airport in New York and left his car as a false lead. And then he took a bus into the city. This is very calculated. I know. For, her, for this to be God's plan. I know. Very. (laughs) So the Westfield police didn't discover the bodies of the five family members until December 7th, 1971, which was basically a month later. Yikes. Yeah. And this was due in part to the family's reclusive tendencies. They didn't really like interact with the neighbors that much or anything. And it was also in part to notes that List had sent to the children's schools and their part-time jobs, claiming that the children would be visiting his ailing mother-in-law in North Carolina. Helen's mother was actually ill and she had canceled a visit to come. She had canceled a visit that she had planned to come visit them because she was sick. And List actually later on said that if she had made the trip, that he would have made her his sixth victim. Oh, fuck. So that's a little universe creepy situation. Yeah. Um, List had also stopped the milk mail and newspaper deliveries so there wasn't anything that was like piling outside the home so really like from the outside the home kind of looked normal Mm -hmm. and like they didn't really interact with their neighbors so nobody really felt like there was anything weird yeah but eventually towards that month mark after the murders neighbor neighbors began to notice that all of the mansion's lights were on even if it was like day or night they were just on the whole time Mm -hmm. and the light bulbs eventually started to burn out And the neighbors were like, okay, something's weird. And they started to become suspicious. And then eventually the police were called because Patricia, the daughter's dancing teacher, came to the house to see why Patricia wasn't coming to class. And that raised concern and the police were called. Mm -hmm. So the officers entered through an unlocked window leading to the basement and they discovered the bodies in the ballroom. And um, they found John List's confession, confession note and the bodies, like I just said, were partially decomposing, and the music was still playing on the intercom, which is creepy as fuck. No, when I tell you, there's nothing creepier than like Seven Hundred Club or any. Have mm-hmm. you ever seen any of those shows? No. Oh, okay, so just like quick, real quick. So yeah. like TBN, uh, the the Bible Network. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's so fucking. Cause it'll be like, um, I can't remember any lyrics off the top of my head. I wish I could right now, but it'll be like. Jesus is Lord. Like, they'll feel like uh-huh. something like that. But it's like, those shows come on, like, late at night. So it'll be, like, dark outside. Oh, and that's, like, the only TV that's playing in the house. And it's, mm-hmm. like, no, it's so fucking creepy. It's like when they use, like, kids singing nursery rhymes in yes. horror movies. Like, twinkles, twinkles. Yes. And it's, like, the scariest shit in the world. Oh, I'm getting, like, chill. Yeah, that's fine. So yeah. this, probably the same creepy religious music was playing through this intercom while the four bodies were decomposing in the ballroom. Right. John's, this case quickly became the second most infamous crime in New Jersey history. And a nationwide manhunt for John List was launched. So they found his car, like I mentioned before, at the airport, but there was no record of him taking a flight because he didn't. And throughout 
a long period of time, the police went down um, hundreds of leads, but they basically didn't have any results. And all reliable photos of List had been destroyed because he took them out of all the pictures in the family's house. This man thought of everything. Yeah, he did. Like, literally. So calculating. Right. So um, the family's church ended up paying for a lot in Westfield Cemetery. Mm -hmm. And um, that's where they buried the wife and the children. And John List's mother was buried in her hometown of Bay City, Michigan. So the house was emptied completely until it was destroyed by a fire in August of 1972, which was nine months after the murders. And the destruction was officially ruled to be arson, but the case still remains unsolved with no suspects. Oh, no, he came back. He came back to the same time. I'm getting rid of all this shit. They never going to find me. Right. So destroyed along with the home was the ballroom stained glass skylight, which was rumored to be a signed Tiffany original. And it was said to be worth at least $100,000 at the time, which is equivalent to $620,000 now. Just the Fuck skylight like, in the house. So imagine how much the house was worth. Fuck. I'm like, if this man had just like taken a second and humbled himself and sold that damn house, they probably would have been fine. Yeah. They, or you just sell the skylight. You just let it. That's it. Just have an open ceiling in the room. $620,000 now for a damn skylight. Yikes. A Tiffany skylight. I didn't even know that existed. Yeah, I didn't either. I, I, I thought they only made like jewelry. Jewelry, right. Like that. That's it. Shows how poor I am. Right. We would never know. <laughs> so a new house was built on the site in 1974, and that's what's still standing now. Okay. After John left, unbeknownst to the police and literally everyone else, he traveled to Denver, where he started working an accounting job <laughs> again. Like, damn, you can find a job. So you couldn't find a job when they were alive, but you could find one now that they did. Okay, great. Niggas ain't shit. At, at all. Non-niggas ain't shit, I guess. So, right. <laughs> <laughs> so he began began a new life under the name Robert P. Clark, and he people called him Bob. So List later claimed that he took the name from one of his, one of his college classmates, but they reached out to the real Bob Clark, and that man was like, I don't know who that man is. He's like, I've never heard of John List. I don't know that man. So... That's creepy as well. So his name probably wasn't John List. Fucking crazy. Oh my God, I was scared. (laughs) So um, John in Denver, he joined a local Lutheran church. He ran a carpool for shut-in church members. And at a religious gathering, he met another widow, Dolores Clark. And in 1985, which was 14 years after he killed his family, they married. So... After they married, they moved to Richmond, Virginia in in February of 1988, and they pretty much lived a normal life for another couple years. From the murders until 18 years later, John List was living under an alias and just living completely And just chilling with another wife and all of that. that In Denver. And and instead of doing that with his original family. Right. I'm sure. I'm so sure. And they never had any clue no. how easy it was back then for you to right. change the your wife identity. Had no idea. Wow. No idea. Okay, so in 1989, which was 18 years after List had been missing and he had committed the murders, authorities back in New Jersey approached the producers of the show America's Most Wanted. So, there, I mean, America's Most Wanted was known for. Um, catching fugitives because the viewers would call in. They'd mm-hmm. be like, I, I recognize that person. I know who they are. I know where they live, whatever. So um, they wanted to have the case featured on America's Most Wanted kind of as, as like a last-ditch effort. Mm-hmm. So it was the oldest case that was ever featured on the show. And it the show actually included an age-rendered clay bust that looked really similar to List. So this clay bust is like super famous, and the person that created it is like they were just in the research they were talking about him for far too long but basically he used like some different types of science and age progression knowledge and stuff to create this like literal statue of list's face for what they think he would look like after all of this time wow yeah which was pretty incredible and people said it actually looked a lot like list looked so and this is why we need to publicly fund the arts yes thank you because it was the arts that did it they didn't use any computer software or anything like that right. it was literally an artist who was able to do this incredible that is amazing 
So the um, the show highlighted the mass murders of, of John, and um, apparently List and his wife actually caught the tail end of the show. Like, they were clicking through things. Stop. And- no. That's some movie shit. <laughs> I don't give a fuck. That's some movie shit. And literally after the fact, List said that he was like, he immediately started sweating. Like, freaking out. But he said the wife didn't recognize him from the clay bust. Oh. And it was just, that was it. Oh but my God. back in Denver, because remember at this time he had moved his, um, the, him and his wife had moved to Virginia. But back in Denver, his former neighbors recognized him from the bust and they called the police. Oh my fucking God. And just 11 days after it was aired on America's Most Wanted, John was arrested on June 1st, 1989. And he was extradited to New Jersey. Fucking oh wild. My God. That is amazing. It took 18 years and they found him from a TV show. Because a fucking artist was right. able to... That was is able to so wild. That out. Yeah, it was incredible. No, like, I'm shook that they, like, caught the last end of the episode. Like, oh, let's finish this. Right. Like, oh my let's God. Let's just watch what this is. <laughs> he started sweating, girl. He did 18 it. years later. He probably thought he was scot-free. Yeah. I would have been, I would have been like, hmm. Listen. I made it. If you're dating someone and they start sweating as soon as they see <laughs> a wanted murderer on TV, they did it. I'll they did it. Fuck. That's it. I'll Leave. Immediately. <laughs> but just act like everything's cool, right. though. Be like, you know, I'm just going to go pick up, like, a pint of ice cream. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just having a craving right now. I'm just right. like, I need to take my jacket and my, right. and my purse and all of my And stuff. all of my things. <laughs> Okay. Oh my goodness. <laughs> okay, so John for two months he stuck to his alias and he claimed that he was not John List, but eventually they got his fingerprints and they were able to match his military records and they confirmed that he was who they thought he was. So he confessed to, he confessed to committing the murders and his true identity in February of nineteen ninety. And at trial he tried to defend himself saying that he was not mentally stable. Which he probably wasn't, but he tried to say that that's a reason why he shouldn't go to jail. So um, during his defense, he cited that the growing financial difficulties in lying to his family about going to work were causing him stress. He also cited that dealing with his wife, wife's alcoholism, and apparently she had an untreated case of syphilis that she had contracted from her first husband, and she had kept it concealed for 18 years. And I kind of like looked into this because I was like, syphilis? Which it's so interesting that now, like, that's something that you just, you know, you take medicine for. Uh But back then, it was like a real thing. I mean, they didn't have medicine for it. So if you had syphilis, you, like, well, not if you had syphilis, but when folks got married, it was pretty typical for people to take, to have to take a test Uh to see if they had syphilis or not before they got married. Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't know. Very interesting. So syphilis back then was like HIV. Yeah. Yeah, basically. And I mean, I guess untreated syphilis can really, you know, impact your body. So. I know it can fuck with your brain too. mm -hmm. Like a lot of people have delusional. So it didn't say whether or not he also had syphilis, but I'm assuming that if they had been married and they, I'm assuming that he contracted it from her, but they didn't say anything about that. So I don't know. Mm -hmm. But he said that learning about her having this and she had kept it concealed for however long was also adding stress to him. Mm -hmm. And a court appointed psychiatrist testified that Liz suffered from obsessive compulsive personality disorder in that, List thought that there were only two solutions to his situation. Mm-hmm. One solution would be to accept welfare. Oh, it's a plane. <laughs> One solution would be to accept welfare. And another solution would be to kill his family and send their souls to heaven. Those are, those are your only two choices. Only two, A and B. Oh my goodness. Yep. So, um, so if it, wait, so if it wasn't for his... <laughs> mental illness he would have been able to critically think about his choices that's what they're trying to say i don't want to dismiss that because i know that like sometimes being in that state of mind kind of you know eliminates your ability to rationalize but like i don't don't know i don't know because i would i would because you know like people with mental illnesses are more likely to be victimized then they ought to be like yeah Mm -hmm. i'm gonna kill my entire family rather than getting a job or taking welfare well the thing to me is like i and and not that any of it is right but i would have felt more comfortable with this stance if it had been like something that he did just out of nowhere he just like 
shot them and freaked out. Yeah. But it was very, like, calculated. He did all this stuff in order for him to escape. He called people before he even killed half mm-hmm. of them to yeah. be like, oh, we're leaving for North Carolina. Like, it was very much, yeah. like, I'm going to have this together so I can escape. Agreed. So Agreed. I don't, I mean... I don't know. See, that makes a lot more sense. Somebody doing something that impulsive. Yeah. Like and then it's because, like, oh, because they suffer from this disorder. Okay, that makes sense. But, yeah. Like, yeah, no. Yeah. So. You did too far, far too much. You did research, sir. And this is yes. before the internet. Right. Mm-hmm. So. You went to the library. <laughs> right. It stamped your library card. <laughs> you can do this shit. No, fuck out of here. Um, okay, so we said the two um, solutions that List had were welfare or killing his family. So clearly welfare was an unacceptable option for him because it would expose him and his family to ridicule and it would violate his authoritarian father's teachings about how to care and protect for his family. The defense wasn't feeling this. They, they rejected all that shit. They were like, no, we don't accept the, any of that. So on April 12th, 1990, he was convicted in New Jersey court of five counts of first-degree murder. And on May 1st, he was sentenced to five life terms in prison to be served consecutively, which was the maximum permissible penalty at the time. And List filed an appeal of his conviction on the grounds that his judgment had been impaired by post-traumatic stress disorder due to his military service. Mm. He also argued that the letter that he left behind at the crime scene, remember talking about the funeral and all that stuff, was basically a confession like a religious confession and therefore it was confidential communication with his pastor and it should be an admissible evidence. Mm, no, you didn't go to church. Right. You didn't go that. to the thing. You left it at curtain. a murder scene. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. So the, yeah, they rejected that. They were like, that doesn't make any sense. When you stopped your mail, you should have sent that letter to your pastor. <laughs> but that's what you did everything else. Right. Oh, here's some bodies right next to this. <laughs> This long ass letter explaining why Five I did what I did, long. but you can't read it. <laughs> he would have loved Facebook, okay. right? Y'all, I'm feeling like killing somebody today. What's wrong? I don't feel like talking about it. <laughs> he would have been Facebook famous, yeah, most definitely. So, in an interview in 2002, List expressed some remorse for his crimes, stating, "quote I wish I had never done what I did," and "quote I've regretted my action and prayed for forgiveness ever since." And when in the same interview they asked why he didn't kill himself, which you mentioned earlier, he said that suicide prevents one from going to heaven, where he hopes to be reunited with his family. But but brutal murder doesn't. That's what I'm saying. Y'all, I can't get married. I'm sorry. I'm so scared. What <laughs> I can't get rid. I can't have kids. Like I'm so scared, y'all. Cause like, cause I know me. I'm the type of person that's like, if I'm right, I know I'm right. Uh-huh. So like, what if I make like my husband feel like emasculated or something, or he has that kind of personality, low key, and then he just, you know, I'm gonna get rid of this bitch. Right. And then just you know, kill the last everyone? time she correct my grammar. <laughs> I know the difference between there, there, and there. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> so scared. I, no. I want to say like that would never happen, but we literally do a true crime podcast, and we've seen. <laughs> countless times right? maybe like oh baby you lost your job that's so sad You're like, oh she pities me <laughs> yeah wait till she drink her morning coffee I'm like, you know what I mean like you never know you, you, you don't know. I mean yeah you don't yeah so he thought that he was going to heaven and that he was going to meet his family there and he refused to commit suicide because but if they meet you there heaven. you think they're going to want to talk to you like, <laughs> like you did them a favor right no sir Oh, Lord. Okay, so John List died from complications of pneumonia at the age of 82 on March 21st, 2008, while he was in prison custody at Trenton, New Jersey Hospital. His, his body was not immediately claimed, um, though he was later buried next to his mother in Michigan. Mm, that's disrespectful. I feel like that shouldn't be allowed. That shouldn't, yeah, that shouldn't be allowed. If I, I'm not going to. If I killed someone, why would you bury me next to that person? Yeah, why did they take it? I mean, he white, so they're definitely going to take pity on him, and they're still going to see him as a human being. Right. Which is, you know, what they should do for prisoners, but that that's not afforded to literally anybody else. To, to me, I feel like still treating him as a human being would be, yes, to bury to him. To bury him, yeah. Not to put him next to the person that he killed. Right. 
And then just from a spiritual sense, depending on what you believe, mm-hmm. you know, you buried next to this person, you're connected to them in the afterlife and mm-hmm. like y'all right. are near each other for the rest of time. Right. Y'all bones are, can you imagine like being buried next to your murderer? You're chilling in heaven or wherever. And then all of a sudden you turn around. <laughs> and the, the nigga who shot you <laughs> is walking towards you. Oh my God. No. I was like, can I go to HR? Like, do they have those? <laughs> Do they have those for God? Because like I'm not cool with this situation. I'm not. I'm not okay with the way you. No one asked me if I was okay. Right. Exactly. I'm gonna leave. leave. That's it. Where's Where's the door to hell? (laughs) I'm going there. Because Satan takes care of his people. Okay. It's hot down there all the time. The pool always open. Like I'm lit. (laughs) I'm not fucking spending eternity with my murderer. Uh, uh, we're not doing that oh my god okay y'all that was the story of john list the boogeyman of westfield i'm scared that was a wild one yeah that was wild okay we're gonna take a break and we'll be back with should this be a crime all right we are back to answer the age-old question (laughs) should this be a crime and um, today we're going to be talking about TikTok school challenges. Um, this is something I saw on TikTok, and I have a few teacher friends that have been telling me about this, but kids are actually doing this shit in school. Yeah, and it, it's just so funny because, like, my relationship with TikTok, because I'm old, yeah. o- older, let me say. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. <laughs> You agree. <laughs> it's like, okay, I see someone on TikTok. It is a wrap. Like, that's it. Like, I might do a dance or I might, you know, learn like a recipe or something. Uh-huh. But like, this is actual social media for people who are still in school. So it's right. interesting that they have like this wild relationship with it. They doing shit. Like, right. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like this was, this uh, platform isn't made for us. Yeah, it's not. It's made for the kids. We and we're just it. there watching. Because <laughs> it's funny, but Okay. So I'm going to read off. They have, I found an article, I'll put it in the notes, and it's a full list of all of the TikTok school challenges. So I guess the whole idea of it is every month has a different challenge and you're supposed to record it and post it on TikTok. Right. I guess you're going to go viral. Okay, so I'll read a few and then um, Ellie will read read a few. (laughs) So September's uh, theme is to vandalize school bathrooms. Yeah, no. Mm -mm. And there's like, I mean, obviously September already happened. So there's like reports of kids ripping sinks out of walls and urinals off the wall and shit and like putting stuff on the toilets and whatnot. I wouldn't even fix it. I'd be like, okay, cool. This is y'all's bathroom now. Yeah, you ain't got nowhere to... Also, that's dirty. They ain't got nowhere to wash their hands. They're kids. Kids are dirty anyway. I mean, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. y'all have to deal with this. Y'all have no urinals. Y'all have nowhere to pee. Now what? But would they pee in the hallway? (laughs) Shoot, I don't know. There's a TikTok challenge. (laughs) Okay, so October, which is the month we're in, is smack a staff member. No, we're fighting. (laughs) That's what my friend said. She was like, I'm not going to let a child smack me. Right. Smack a staff member? Yeah. You lost your mind. (laughs) But they're really doing it. The kids are really doing this. Okay. November is kiss your friend's girlfriend at school. Uh, I feel like so. So the first two are definitely crimes because it's like you vandalize the school property. Literally, <laughs> you vandalize public property. They definitely gonna get your ass if you get caught on camera. Mm-hmm. Smacking a staff member that's assault, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Quite literally, and then the it could lead to another crime. Yeah. The staff member killing the child, <laughs> and then they gonna be an episode right. on the show. <laughs> No, and then like an you smacking an adult, you putting them in a situation where like yeah. they have to take it because you're a child, and right. if they smack you, then it's like your word versus theirs and shit. Oh no, I'm good. No, I would definitely get fired, right? Because I'm fucking yeah. So the the kiss the friend's girlfriend is kind of that's more high school. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Also, it could be consensual. Like, hey, yeah. you want to? I don't know. Kiss me or do this thing, and then post it on TikTok for you know whatever reason. Right. I'm hoping that that would be a consensual thing. Unless they steal it, then that wouldn't be. But yeah. Okay. So December, this one made me chuckle. Deck the halls and show your balls. <laughs> It's on the 
some white boys make this right. up. No, it has to be. I mean, come <laughs> Deck on. Deck the halls and show your. So I guess you just walk around school with your balls out. Yes. Oh my goodness, no. That's sexual assault. It, yes. <laughs> and public indecency. This one, I was confused. Like, <laughs> do people really say things like this? January is jab a breast. Jab a breast. Jab. Is this from? <laughs> is this from the UK? <laughs> Who says that? Who says jab? Do they mean like poke? They mean punch. Oh, like punch. See, like a jab is like a like a oh, rabbit like punch. A, yeah. yeah. Eek. Okay. Also, we fighting because yes, because titties you, are sensitive. Yeah, you hit me. Yeah, no. Um, okay, I'll let you read the rest. Okay. So I just did January. <laughs> um, mess up school signs. Uh, what does that even mean? Like the exit like People do that anyway. Yeah, that's normal. Yeah. Um, that's boring. <laughs> it is also boring. Yeah. We're like, all right, y'all. Unless y'all posting like pictures, and then even then, that'll kind of mm-hmm. be shitty. Um, make a mess. In, oh, so for March, it, that was February. So this is March. Make a mess in the courtyard or cafeteria. That's giving mm-hmm. school. That's giving food fight. Yeah, that's it's giving good. yeah food fight. Senior prank. Whatever. People do that anyway. And, yeah, and I feel like if the TikTok challenge, like, if it was more in that vain mm-hmm. it wouldn't be that big of a deal yeah no smacking a school that's not that's you're stepping over a line yeah, no. into a literal crime <laughs> and then you this poor janitors they I gotta know. clean that shit up y'all don't unless they make the students clean it up or they're like we're gonna fail all of y'all now what i but, hope they will yeah so april is grab some eggs which is another stealing challenge that's a school prank that's senior prank like throw eggs grab some eggs so i guess like you got to steal some from the school cafeteria oh, or something okay. like that yeah Listen. another prank if I was a lunch lady and I was working for what ten, eleven dollars an hour, you could come in there. Please. Take as many of that you'd like. That's just that's you because I'm slowly dying inside. <laughs> right. And I, they're not paying me enough. And I still gotta deal with these fuckers that are what like age thirteen to right. at seventeen at most. Gross. <laughs> I'm glad I'm out of that world. But um so May is ditch day born. Mm, everyone does that. Everybody people do that on a regular day. That's right. Um June is flip off in the front office. So, oh, flip off. What's so, that mean? Like, like, I don't know, maybe a contest, what? like a flip contest. Oh, <laughs> that's funny, actually. <laughs> I would just let you can just let that ride, like, right? Just okay, okay, go back to class. It's fine. And then July is spray a neighbor's fence. This is giving suburbs, like with um, spray paint, I guess. Or, Y'all yeah, started kind of off real tough. Real strong, yeah. <laughs> like we fighting. We vandalizing, stripping shit and off the wall. all of a sudden, you're skipping school? Right. Okay. Uh, if, you, if you're really about that action, go to school naked. How about that? Hmm. Yeah, do that. Then what? <laughs> but this definitely is giving suburbs. Because, it is. first of all, your neighbors got a fence. Yeah. Come on. Right. You, y'all don't stay in the projects. Y'all don't stay in the hood or whatever. Yeah. It's giving white... Yeah, suburbs, yeah. But the deck, the halls, and show your balls, that definitely reminded me of my, my high school, <laughs> which is mostly white. <laughs> and that's the shit that they used to say. That's fun. That's like, that's, that's creative. You took the theme of December and you made a riddle. Yeah. The rest of these <laughs> got me, like, step it up. Right. They had, like, they probably had, like, months to come up with these, and then they had to come up with the last right. the last minute. Right. Grab some eggs. Okay. Give hmm. Well, I mean, like we said, there are some literal, literal crimes in this. But um, my friend was saying that, like, schools, I mean, especially for the first couple months, mm-hmm. schools are, like, really preparing for that type of thing. Yeah. Like, um, only opening up one bathroom in the hallway. You know, like, not having all the bathrooms open. Oh, okay. Or, like, having the principal sit in on a class so a student just doesn't just go up and smack a teacher or like staff member got to be in a bathroom with y'all right like, like oh, they're man. actually making perca- like taking precautions because the kids are actually doing this shit i was gonna because when you said they're preparing i'm like my imagination was just going nowhere i was like riot gear like, <laughs> <laughs> no making all the teachers nine to be like i wish you would <laughs> Like, I mean, who knows what they're doing here in Atlanta? Oh, oh my God, no, ain't no fucking way. Ain't no way they doing this shit at Doug. <laughs> <laughs> ain't no way they doing this shit at Maze, Thero, or none of these fucking schools. Uh-uh. Yeah, those teachers will fucking fight you, and you will lose. Yeah, <laughs> but I feel like the students probably at those schools they know that, and they're yeah. not even gonna take that chance. Yeah, I don't know, but if y'all see any TikToks of this stuff, send it to us. <laughs> Honestly, not to encourage it. But for research. Yeah, for research purposes, because we would like to study the, um, it's a criminal psychology in yeah. youth. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that's why. Deck the halls and show your balls. I don't want to see no balls. Though. No, I mean, you can keep those. You can- <laughs> Even though they wouldn't show them on TikTok anyway. We believe you. <laughs> yeah, we don't need to see it. Um, that's all right. hilarious. Okay, so we said yes, it's a crime. Yeah, it's definitely a Quite crime. literally. Yeah, it is. It's literally a crime. It ain't even like, should this be? Right. It, it, it is. It literally so is. So don't do it. <laughs> even though I doubt any teenagers are listening to us. But if you are, kids, don't try this at home Don't do it. Come on now. Don't it's smack a staff it. member. It's not worth don't it. Don't vandalize your school bathrooms because when you gotta piss, guess where you gonna go? Nowhere. You gonna have to piss in the hall or go in the grass like a dog. Right. Just skip school like a normal high schooler. Yeah. Just have a day where y'all dress up like superheroes or anything but clothes day where y'all have to wear duct tape to school. Or like that. <laughs> we did that. Yeah, this For like cute. spirit week or something. Yeah. yeah. That's something cute. Tacky day. What happened to that? Oh. Back in my day okay <laughs> we didn't do shit like that i don't know where y'all come from but I'm not sure. y'all I'm not come from this new generation and these new kids just kidding i love tiktok <laughs> Same. i love tiktok so much <laughs> it's my favorite yeah all right well bye yeah oh well no not yet <laughs> okay bye <laughs> <laughs> like see y'all later no um so you can listen to us on spotify you can listen to us on apple music you can listen to us on, was it iHeartRadio? Yeah, it? I think it's on iHeartRadio, yeah. yeah. And Pandora, no, we're not on Pandora. Not I mean, yet. Pandora is tough to get into. Yeah, it is? Oh, yeah, okay. well, I think so. And I think they play by <laughs> suggestion anyway. I don't think they would randomly play a podcast. Right, <laughs> true. <laughs> but yeah, wherever you listen to music, you can listen to us. Yeah, we'll be there. And um, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok. Um, all of them are at Iana Killer Podcast except for Twitter. It's at Iana Killer Pod. And yeah, I think we have like a hundred six or something followers on Instagram, but we want to keep getting those up. That's where we post most of our things. That's where we announced that we were taking our break last week. So get on there so you know what's going on with us. Yeah. Um, I think that's it. Yeah, I think that is it. For real. Yeah. For real. For real. <laughs> all right, we'll catch y'all next week. Bye. 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 <laughs>